Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series discussing all the questions you wish you had answered about heaven. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks so much for checking out our sermon here at Hope. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. For the past three weekends, we have been trying to answer questions about heaven. We've answered questions like, what is heaven? We talked about heaven being a real place that's been prepared by God to spend eternity with his people. We've answered questions like, who's going to be in heaven? And we came to understand that only those who trust Jesus in this life are going to be in heaven. And even that question surfaced some other questions for people about uh, who's going to be in heaven. And I'm going to address some of those next weekend, so don't miss that. We've also, for the last two weekends, been answering the question, what is heaven going to be like? And we've talked about some of the things that are going to be in heaven, and we've talked about some of the things that are not going to be in heaven that John tells us about in Revelation chapter 21. So we've been answering some questions together, and I don't know about you, but it's been super encouraging for me as I've just been walking through this study personally to learn more about this subject of heaven. But, but I want to begin week four by letting you in on a secret that we've been keeping from you until this week. Everybody's leaning in now, right? Here's the secret. The heaven where people go now is not the heaven that we've been describing for the last couple of weeks. Wait a minute. What did he just, some of, some of you weren't even listening right now. You're, you're arguing with your wife about signing up out there after the thing. And you, you, you just, she's nudging you and you're going, baby, it's college football. I can't be there on Saturday. And you just heard me say the heaven where people go now is not the heaven that we've been talking about for the last two weeks. And you, what, what did he just say? Well, that's true. Now, let me explain what I mean by that, all right? It shouldn't surprise us that, that we say something like that because the Bible actually talks about four different heavens. Everybody all right so far? <laughs> Go to Genesis 1.1. Let me put this verse up on the screen. This is like... The very first verse in the Bible. I've read this verse. I can't even tell you how many thousands of times I've read this verse. When I, when I was studying this over the last few weeks and I noticed this, it was like I was sitting there. You know that thing we just go, your mind goes, that's what happened to me. I'm reading, look what it says. In the beginning, God created the what? Andy. Did you miss? Did you see it? Plural. I've read that a thousand times. I never noticed that before. God, in the beginning, 
God made the heavens. And the earth. Four different heavens in the Bible. Let me give them to you. The first heaven is what you and I would call the sky. The atmosphere. That's why in Psalm 8.8 the Bible says the birds of the heavens. It's what you and I would know where the clouds are, where the birds fly. It's our atmosphere. The second heaven... The Bible calls out what you and I would call outer space or the galaxies. In Psalm chapter 8 and verse 3, look what the scripture says. It says, when I consider the what? Heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained. The Bible refers to the galaxies, our outside of our atmosphere as the heavens. Now, maybe that's not a surprise to you that there are those two things that the Bible calls the heavens, but then there's a third heaven. As a matter of fact, it's why in the book of, in the New Testament, I think it's in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about the fact that he was able to see into heaven and Paul says, I I went to the, he called it the third heaven. Where'd he get three from? Well, we got heaven, the sky, heaven, the the galaxies and the universe. And then Paul says the third heaven, what I'm going to call that today is the present heaven. It's where people go now. It's where God dwells with his angels and all believers who've already died have gone to this heaven. You say, where is it? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's out there. Outside of our sky, And the galaxies, (laughs) it's going to be tough for some of us today. I think it probably exists outside of the parameters of time. Some of us get all worried about how long people are there waiting for us to get there. Listen, if it's outside, oh, I can't even get there. If it's outside the parameters of time. When you get there, you know what they're going to say? Oh, hey, I just got here. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 says, We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the where? Heavens. Where is that? That's where God now dwells. It's where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and he tells us for you and me to be absent from this body. Guess what it means? It means that we're now present with the Lord. Where is the Lord? Seated at the right hand of the majesty on high in the heavens. It's where we go right now. If I walk out of here and get run over by a bus, that's where I'm headed. The heavens, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Then, then what's this, what's the fourth heaven? Well, that's what we've been describing for a few weeks. The fourth heaven is the new heaven and the new earth. We read it a few weeks ago in Revelation 21. John said, then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. This is our eternal home. This is the one that we've been describing out of Revelation chapter 21. Now, the present heaven has many of the same characteristics and attributes that we have been describing. It's very similar where, where our loved ones are right now, where all the saints of all the ages are right now in the heavens with Jesus seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, where that is right now is very similar to what's going to be our eternal home, this new heaven and new earth, but there is one major difference. Randy Alcorn's book on heaven has been so helpful for me as I've studied this subject. I want you to listen to the way Randy Alcorn describes this difference. The present, or some people call it the intermediate heaven, is in the angelic realm, distinctly separate from earth. Where is that? We don't know. It's somewhere out there. Where believers go to be with Jesus, I believe probably outside the parameters of space and time as we know it today. He says that's the present heaven. But look what he says. By contrast, the future heaven will be in the human realm on earth. Then the dwelling place of God will also be the dwelling place of humanity in a resurrected universe. So heaven and earth now separated, get this, then will be merged. The new earth will also be heaven. Since God will dwell there with his people, glorified believers, in other words, will continue to be in heaven while they are inhabiting the new earth. This is a picture of God's ultimate plan. Not to take us up to live in a realm made for him, but to come down and live with us in the realm he made for us. Wow! Here's the point. The present heaven is up there. The new heaven will be here. I hope your mind is blown like my mind has been blown as I read that. You say, how, how, where you, let me show you. Revelation 21. Look at it. It's right here. You, you, we've read it. We've read it. We just missed it. Look at Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Say the next two words out loud. Coming down. Coming down. I can't wait to see that. Here's what's cool. We're going to talk about this in a minute. We're going to already be there. 
And so we're going to... From wherever it is, it's going to come down. It's going to... Look what it says. Coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is, say it out loud, among men, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. You know, one of the problems we have in understanding heaven is we're trying to figure out what this otherworldly experience is going to be like. <laughs> it's coming down here. A new heaven. And which means there's going to be this principle of continuity where redeemed as God intends it to be, this restored, redeemed, reconciled universe and creation. It's going to be earth, but it's going to be new earth. Now, here's what's cool about that. When I got saved, Paul said, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a what? New creature. The old things have what? Passed away. Behold, new things have come. Paul said, same thing about me's happened that's going to happen to the earth. Now, listen, the day I got saved, my mom didn't go, who are you? I was new. I've been made new on the inside, but I'm still me. You know what that means about the earth? We're going to see the things that we know. It's going to be the earth, but it's going to be new. Chip Ingram said, God is going to make everything new. The world the, the word new isn't a reference to new in time or chronology. Rather, this word refers to new in quality or character. It is the new in the sense that it is qualitatively an upgrade to the old earth. So let's ask and answer two questions this morning. And before I do, let me, let, me, let me say this. This ought to make sense because... That's been God's plan since Genesis 1. Create a people on this earth where he lives in fellowship with them in perfect unity, harmony, enjoying life as God intended it to be. That's been the plan from day one. And I want you to know something. The enemy didn't win. We're going to ultimately live out what he originally intended. So, so two questions. Y'all got to listen fast, all right? Every, uh, here's the first question. When, when will I go to heaven? When will I go to heaven? Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but, but let me give you two answers to that question. When we go. Here's the first answer. Every person who dies in Christ immediately goes to be with God in the present heaven. Every person who dies in Christ. What does that mean? Having received Jesus as their Lord and Savior on this earth, walking today, knowing God, in a relationship with God. Perfect? No. It's not rooted in my performance. It's rooted in my position in Christ. Every person who dies in Christ 
immediately goes to be with God in the present heaven. Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul's writing to Christians, and he says, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. He's talking about Christians who've already died, because here's what had happened. Some of the Christians in this city of Thessalonica began to die. And they so strongly believed in the second coming of Jesus that they thought it was coming back then. They thought Jesus was coming right then, right there in their time period. And so when Christians started to die, they began to be troubled. They began to have concern. What's going on? I thought Jesus was coming back to get us and now people are dying. So Paul says, hey, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Doesn't mean we can't grieve. We just don't grieve like everybody else grieves because we got some hope. What's the hope? Look at it, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring, say it out loud, with him. You know what that means, right? That's where they are. When he comes again, Paul says, hey, I know you're torn up about these Christians who've already died because you're concerned because the second coming hadn't happened yet. Did they mess up? He said, no, don't worry. When he comes, (laughs) they're coming with him. They're already there. Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord... We won't precede those who've already fallen asleep. We're not going to get there before them. They already beat us there. They're there. So, so let, me, let me break this down for you in, in three little statements. Number one, at death, angels usher you into the presence of God. Angels usher you into the presence of God. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke tells a story about two men. One of them, he gave us his name, Lazarus, because he was a follower of Jesus. It was not the Lazarus of John 4 who'd been raised from the dead. It was a different Lazarus. The other, he didn't give us his name, but he told us some things about him. He called him a rich man. Lazarus and this rich man die. The rich man does not go to heaven. He enters eternity in hell, separated from God. Lazarus, the Bible says, goes to heaven. And here's the way the Bible says he got there. Luke 16, says, now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. It was an Old Testament word for this idea of heaven or where believers go. The Bible says angels carried him away to be with God in heaven. That's why the Bible said in 1 Thessalonians, God will bring with him every believer who's already died is with him right now. That's why Jesus looked at the thief on the cross and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. How many of you have ever heard of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot? Many of you have. You can put your hands down. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, along with four other families in the 1950s, moved to Ecuador to reach unreached people groups living in Ecuador. Peoples that had Indian tribes that had never had access to the gospel before. So they they relocated their families there, and, and these five men began to try to engage these very hostile, unreached peoples. So what they did first is they started with an airplane and they would fly over these unreached peoples and they would drop gifts, food and and provisions for these. They would just drop gifts. 
just to, to let them know we're coming, but we're friends. We don't want to hurt you. We want to help you. We want to love you. So they would fly over and they would drop gifts, gifts after gifts after gifts after gifts. Then they built a base camp within walking distance of the villages they were trying to reach. And the five men would leave their families and go live in this base camp, preparing to make a journey into this village and share the gospel with these Indians that had never heard the gospel before. Well, the Indians became fearful. So they sent a group of 10 warriors. They attacked that base camp. They murdered Jim Elliott and those other four men before they could ever get to them to share the gospel with them. The wives of those five men said, we will not let our husband's death be for nothing. They relocated their families to that base camp and they continued to minister to those villages. And those women ultimately led this people group to faith in Christ. Churches are now planted all over that region because of that story. Some of those 10 warriors who murdered those missionaries came to know Jesus. Listen what they said. The warriors said that after they killed them, there was a singing in the trees and figures clothed in white hovered over their bodies and carried them into the sky. Here's what I want you to hear me say. I don't care if it happens in a hospital room, in your sleep, in a car accident, or in some other way. If you and I die on this earth the moment we breathe our last breath, the angels of God come and they usher us into the very presence of God. Let me tell you the second thing. At death, heaven becomes your home forever. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Here's what that means. There's no holding tank, purgatory, waiting period, soul sleep, none of that. The minute you and I breathe our last breath on planet earth, we are gathered up by the angels and ushered right into the presence of God himself. Heaven becomes our home forever. Now, it's not going to always stay where it is. It's coming down here, but we're there forever. And finally, at death, we're reunited with believers from all the ages. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians, he said he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Who's those? Everybody from now all the way back to Adam and Eve. So that's the first way you answer that question. Every believer, every person who dies in Christ immediately goes to the present heaven to be with God. Here's the second way you answer this question. Every person alive when Christ returns immediately goes to be with God in the present heaven. Here's what that means. Some of us ain't going to die. He's coming again with those who've already died to get the rest of us. If he comes today, guess what? You and me miss out on the death part. If I get a vote, I'd like that, I'd like that entry point. Amen? <laughs> Give me that one. You say, really? Look, look, look back at 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verse 16. Right after Paul said, hey, don't be uninformed. They're already there. They're coming back with him. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, say it out loud, shout 
with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise for he's going to take those bodies. He's going to resurrect those bodies. And you say, man, what about people that don't have a body? They got, they, they were, uh, they, they were, they had their ashes burned. They were, they had, they were, what's the word? I'm looking Cremated. That's the word I'm looking for. They were, they were cremated. What about somebody that, that was in the military and their body was, listen, God is so sovereign and so big. It doesn't matter if your body's in one piece or a thousand pieces. When he comes again, he's going to resurrect it, put it all together. And he's going to glorify that body. And we're going to live in those glorified bodies. Look what it says. He, the dead will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be what? Caught up. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but we're all going to be here. And in the next minute, we're going to be there. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So when do I go to heaven? Well, if you die right then, if you don't die until he comes right then, but then there's kind of a third way to answer this. Because at the end of the age, you say, when's that? Well, that depends on your view of end time events, all right? And we're not even going to get into that. That's a whole other series. But whatever your view of end time prophecy, when the age ends, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And all of us that are already there, whether we died to get there or got caught up to get there, then we're all going to come down here. And what is heaven there? is going to become this new Jerusalem, this city, this headquarters that's 1,500 miles wide, long, and tall that is now the center, the capital city of the new earth where we're going to live forever and ever and ever. Now, as I was reading all this in preparation, I came across a question that I thought was interesting. One of the writers asked this question, and I don't want you to answer out loud, but if you could go to heaven right now, or 10 years from now, when would you go? I don't want you, I'm at church, spiritual pace answer. I want you to get honest in your own heart. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid most of us would say, I'd rather wait 10 years. You see, the unknown about what life is going to be like in heaven makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And we're real comfortable with life that we have. Even with its problems and challenges and difficulties, it's known, it's familiar. Chip Ingram in his book said it this way. I love this. He said, as I've spoken to students about Jesus coming again and the prospects of heaven, some of them have said to me, I don't want Jesus to come back until I get married and have sex. I've also talked to an older couple who were planning a trip to Hawaii who said, I don't want Jesus to come back until after our trip to Hawaii. Here's what he said. We don't really know what heaven is like, but we're pretty sure it can't be better than marriage, sex, or Hawaii. Now, unfortunately, that's the way a lot of us, that, that's really what we know about heaven. Heaven. 
We know so little about this place. We, we so have, have, have misunderstood the concept of heaven and eternal life that some of us are even afraid of heaven. We're uncomfortable with the thought of heaven. So I want to ask a second question we're going to answer this morning in the minutes that we have left. What will I do when I get there? We have so many misconceptions. You want to do something fun sometime? You get 10 people in a circle that love Jesus. Say, what do you think we're going to do when we get to heaven? And just let them answer. We really don't have any idea. We think, we think it's some otherworldly experience. We think it involves clouds and harps and elevator music. We're not sure, but we envision it something like the library. <laughs> There's somebody in heaven always going, shh. <laughs> Don't you know you're in heaven? We think it's something other than a physical life and existence that we know here on earth. We, we, we think it's a really long church service. Listen, I'm a pastor. I love being at church. I do. Most of the time. But if I thought heaven was a really long church service, I would not be looking forward to it. I just got to be honest with you. We think heaven is boring. And that reveals an even deeper flaw in our theology because to think heaven is going to be boring is to think somehow that God is boring. Which makes me ask the question, where do you think we got fun from? You think we came up with that concept? Why do we have all these misconceptions? Let me tell you why. Because we have an enemy and he's a liar. The Bible says in John chapter 8 that the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. All he does is try to twist and deceive and rob us from the joy of knowing the truth. And let me show you how he lies. Look what the Bible says at Revelation 13 and verse 6. Look at this verse. And he, the devil, opened his mouth in blasphemies. What's a blasphemy? A blasphemy is a false statement that causes people to have a bad opinion about something. That's what a blasphemy is as it's used here. So he opened his mouth in blasphemies about what? About against God to blaspheme his what? Name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in what? The enemies lied about who God is. He's lied about who we are. And he's lied about what heaven is going to be like. Why has he created all these lies? He's propagated all these lies about heaven because I'm telling you, if you and I really believe what I've been studying for the last two or three months, we would live differently on this earth and we'd do everything we can to take everybody we know to heaven with us. And the enemy knows that. So he's lied. He's deceived. He's twisted. He's made you and I as believers think somehow it's boring or it's not going to be any fun or it's some long church service or we can't really understand it because we're sure not going to invite somebody to go somewhere we don't know what it's going to be like. 
Let me tell you what heaven's going to be. It's going to be a blast. C.S. Lewis said joy is the serious business of heaven. So let me close by by telling you three things we're going to enjoy in heaven. Number one, we will enjoy fellowship with God. Now, again, we hear that and we start thinking about this really long church service. But you got to understand something. God created you and I as human beings to enjoy life in the context of fellowship with him. Meaning that you and I have never really tasted life until we know God. You know why we have addiction? Addiction to things like drugs or alcohol or pornography or sex. Do you know why we have materialism and greed and debt? You know what all that is? It's human beings trying to fill the emptiness on the inside that is there that can only be filled through fellowship with God. When you come to know Christ, we come to know him personally. That's why Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not about some place in a quiet library. It's a relationship with God. It's knowing him in this life. And what makes heaven heaven It's taking the relationship to a whole new level. Because you see, now as a follower of Jesus, that void on the inside of my heart's been filled with him. But I still have a flesh that struggles and longs for the things of this world. But in heaven, the effects of the curse and the flesh will be gone Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Look at it on the screen. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. Amen? I love that. Here's what that means. You're not trying to become a Christian. <laughs> you are one. Now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Here's what that means. Don't judge me. I'm not done yet. You hadn't seen all that he has in store for me yet. I am his, but he's making me what he wants me to be. But we know that when he appears, (laughs) we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. In heaven, we will experience God and his presence and his fellowship with us in a way that we have never experienced in this world. We've had moments where we tasted that kind of fellowship with God as followers of Jesus. But can you imagine an unending walk of fellowship with God that never, ever changes? I won't have good days in my walk and bad days in my walk. I'll just have my walk with him. Let me tell you the second thing. Because you probably, if you knew anything, you probably knew the first one. Here's the second one. We will enjoy relationships with one another. You see, God didn't just create us for relationships with himself. God made us for relationships with each other. That's why in Genesis chapter 2, he said, It is not good for man to be what? Alone. It's not good for man to be alone. It's a word that means best. 
He said it's not best for man to be separated from others. Here's what that means. God didn't just create us to live in a vacuum in fellowship with God. God created us to live in fellowship with himself and out of the overflow of that to live in relationship and fellowship and oneness with others. In heaven, we will, re- we will enjoy relationships with other people like we've never enjoyed them in this life. And we'll get to do it here. We could literally for a couple of weeks just talk about this. I want to try to give you some summary statements to help you understand our new relationships. Here's the first one. Our relationships will transcend our cultural differences. One of the tragedies of our world is that we divide over different. When we look different, when we talk different, when we come from different cultures, we allow that to divide us. But I want you to read what the Bible says in heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, look what it says. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And get this, they will reign upon the what? How did we miss that? It's coming down here. But you hear what he said? Every tribe, tongue, people, nation. You know what that means? We're going to look like what we look like down here, there. Tribes, tongues, peoples, nations. We'll have diversity. You see, God created diversity of culture because God is a creative God. Heaven will not diminish our cultural differences. Heaven will celebrate them and unite us as one family in Jesus. You see, I have a deep-rooted theological conviction that God, when he made us in his image, created a fabric, a unique fabric of his image that is woven into every culture on planet Earth. And it is only when humanity, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation have been woven together through the eternal redemptive story of God and united by the Holy Spirit as one kingdom that we will see the full expression of the image of God revealed in humanity. In heaven, it'll transcend our cultural differences. You know what we get to do at Hope? We get to get a little taste of it. Just a little taste. Number two, our relationships will transcend time and space limitations. Say, what does that mean? Well, we'll no longer read about Moses and the Red Sea. We can talk to Moses. And not only that, I can't prove this, but because of eternity and time and space, there's a chance that Moses can not only tell us the story, He might be able to take us and show us. We're not just going to hear about and read about Jonah and the whale. We're going to talk to Jonah and he's going to tell us what it smelled like inside the belly of that fish. I've wanted to ask him for years, did God give you a chair? You say that's silly. A man lived inside a fish. If God can make that happen, he can give him a chair. We're not going to just read about Peter walking on the water. We're going to get to see Peter's eyes light up as he tells us about Jesus reaching down and grabbing his hand. 
and Peter's a fisherman, <laughs> it's going to be a great story. <laughs> Not just stories from the Bible. We're going to get to sit down with Martin Luther and talk about the theological epiphany he had reading Romans chapter 5 that led him to nail 95 theses to the door of that church and bring about the entire Reformation. We're going to get to sit down with Jonathan Edwards and hear him tell about preaching the gospel, that message sinners in the hands of an angry God that led to a sweeping awakening and revival that touched the world for the glory of God. Transcend space and time. Number three, our relationships will be unhindered by the effects of sin. I don't have time to talk about this very long, but just know this. Relationships are hard work. Amen? Amen. What makes them hard are things like anger, jealousy, bitterness, lust, dishonesty, greed, selfishness, unforgiveness, and envy. In heaven, all that's gone. Everything that makes relationships hard here is gone. Our relationships will transcend the most meaningful of human relationships. What does that mean? Here's what it means. In heaven, I'm going to know Christy. I'm going to know her as my wife. I'm going to know my kids as my kids. I'll know who they are. The difference is in heaven, the relationships that I have with my wife and kids and the relationships that I have with everybody else are going to transcend even the most intimate of relationship that I've ever enjoyed on earth. All of our relationships, we have a hard time grasping this fact of we're not going to, to be married in heaven. There's not going to be the kind of relationships we have. It's because we don't understand and can't, can, can't conceive of the idea that it's not just that those relationships are going to go deeper, but my relationship with everyone is going to go to a place that it's never been with anyone on this earth. We'll enjoy fellowship with one another. Let, let me give you the last thing. Man, I need more time. Here, here's the last one. We're going to enjoy life as God intended it to be. We're going to enjoy fellowship with him. We're going to enjoy relationships with others. We're going to enjoy life as God intended it to be. God created human beings to live life on earth. Sin entered the world and marred that which God made. But get this. The story of the Bible is not a story of recreation. Some people think what's going to happen is God's just going to destroy all this and start over. Listen, if that happens, the enemy won. The story of the Bible is not a story of recreation. The story of the Bible is a story of redemption. It's God redeeming. Listen, God could have just wiped all of us out and started over. That's not what he did. He sent his son to redeem us, to purchase back that which was lost because of sin. What he's going to do with this planet is he's going to redeem it, and we're going to see it like we've never seen it before, and we are going to live life on this earth and enjoy it. Say, what does that mean? It means that in heaven we will be human beings redeemed to the life that God originally intended us to enjoy. If you've not purchased Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, I encourage you to buy it. Listen, you need to get it for the last four chapters. I've read the last four chapters of that book about three times. I've got to be honest with you. If he's 20% right, I'm so fired up I can't stand it. <laughs> Let me tell you a few things this means. What do we do as human beings? Well, we work. Some say, what are we going to do in heaven? We'll work. Some of you hear that and love your job and love what you do and think, yes. Some of you hear that, hate your job and think, no. <laughs> Listen to what Alcorn said. Work in heaven won't be frustrating or fruitless. Instead, it will involve lasting accomplishment, 
unhindered by decay and fatigue, enhanced by unlimited resources. We'll approach our work with the enthusiasm we bring to our favorite sport or hobby. We're going to work. Some of us will have the jobs that we had here. If our jobs didn't in any way weren't the cause of or related to sinful activity, we may have the same job in heaven we have here. Some of us, we want, listen, if you're a doctor, sorry. We don't need any doctors in heaven. You got to find something else to do. No weeping, no mourning, no crying, no pain. You get a fresh start, clean slate. If you're you're a funeral home director, (laughs) sorry. You get to find a new career. We'll work. How do you know that? Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians. In Ephesians, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand, before he ever created the foundation of the world. It was God's intention that us, out of the overflow of relationship with him and fellowship with one another, would work in a way that's profitable and beneficial and blessing and fulfilling. We're going to get to do that in heaven. Tell you second thing. Human beings create. We create. Our God is creative. In the beginning, the Bible says he created the heavens and the earth, and we've been made in his his image. From engineering to architecture, from the arts to technology, human beings create, and we create today under the effects of the fall of sin. Can you imagine when the curse is removed? Listen to what Randy Alcorn said. In this world, even under the curse, human imagination and skill have produced some remarkable works. The statues of Easter Island, Stonehenge, Shakespeare's plays, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the Golden Gate Bridge, baseball, amen, praise the Lord, heart transplants, <laughs> prenatal surgery, microwave ovens, DVDs, the space shuttle, chocolate ice cream, pecan pie, sports cars. It's a list that never ends. With the resources God will lavishly give us on the new earth, what will we be able to accomplish together? In heaven, God will unleash our creativity, not confine it. Let me tell you something else we do. Human beings eat. I don't know about you. I like food. I not only like food, I like other people to like food. If you go out to eat with me and I'm taking you somewhere I like, I took Pastor Tom uh, two weeks ago. He and I were in Kansas City, Missouri, and I was there speaking at an event. It was his birthday, so I took him with me, and I took him to this place called Jack Stack. They have something called a crown prime rib that's only sold in nine states in the United States of America. I'm telling you, it felt like heaven. But I not only wanted to eat that, I wanted Tom to eat that, and I wanted Tom to enjoy that, and I wanted to see the joy on his face as he ate that, and I ate that, and we ate that together in fellowship, knowing God made it, and God gave it to us to eat. And listen, it felt like another worldly experience. But get this, my taste buds today are under the curse of sin. They don't function like God made them. The Bible says all of creation has been affected by the fall of humanity. The best food that I've ever tasted, the best meal that I've ever eaten, won't even begin to compare with the joy of sitting down at the table with my brothers and sisters in Christ in the presence of Jesus himself and breaking bread. I'll just take a bite and go, wow, take a bite, wow. Let me tell you something else we do as human beings. We laugh. We laugh. You know what's silly? We think we came up with that. 
Where'd we get our sense of humor from? Let me tell you where we got it from. Our God's got a sense of humor. If you don't believe that, look at this picture. This is the blobfish. God made that. You got goldfish. You got sharks. You got dolphins. Poor old blobfish. You know, when God made that, he probably had to go, that's good right there. We're going to laugh in heaven. Why? Because our God gave us a sense of humor. Let me close this. Human beings dance. We fish. We go to movies. We play baseball. We read books. We give and receive gifts. We play golf. We hike. We throw parties. We sing karaoke. We tell jokes. We go on trips. And get this. None of those things are a result of sin. They're part of the human fabric that God created when he breathed life into us and we became a living being. So guess what? We're going to do all that forever in relationship and fellowship with God and in relationship with each other. Paul Azinger is a PGA Tour professional who was diagnosed with cancer while he was still playing golf. And Paul Azinger is a strong Christian that loves Jesus. And the chaplain met with him and encouraged him. And he told him something that Paul has since said many, many, many times that I want you to hear today. We think, we think that we're in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. But the reality is, we're in the land of the dying. And we are headed to the land of the living. Let's pray. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come before you. We pray that you'd open our eyes today. Lord, reveal to us who you are. And I want to close by asking this question as you sit there before the Lord. Do you want to go to heaven? I'm going to tell you, I want to go like I've never wanted to go in my life. If you're a Christian today, let me tell you something. You're going. If you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Jesus, Jesus told us how to get to heaven. He said, I am. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If today you don't know that you're going to heaven, but you want to know, we're about to stand and sing a song. We've got pastors here at the front. You can come take one of them by the hand and simply say, I need Jesus. We'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how through what Jesus did, you can be born again into relationship with God. Maybe you need to pray with a pastor this morning over something in your heart or life. We'd be honored to pray with you. You can come pray with us. The altars are going to be open. You respond as God speaks for the rest of us. Listen, let me encourage you. Let this be a moment of worship as you rejoice in all that God's given us in heaven. Father, use this time for your glory. We pray that you would speak to those today that don't know Jesus. God, I pray that there are those that don't know Jesus that right now 
under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, as soon as we stand up, they would leave their seat, come take one of these pastors by the hand and say, I need Jesus. Lord, we bless you today. We thank you for heaven. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.